<laughs> and there we go. And just like that, little tech issues, but you know what? We don't, we roll with the punches. We go with what we have to. Good morning, everyone. Guess what it is? It is Tuesday, trending Tuesday. And I hope you're a trendsetter. We're super excited today. This is good. Well, actually, it's good afternoon now. Carol Sue, aka Naughty Boss, Lady Canada, live with two sisters hey and good morning everyone my name is janice aka wellness diva triumph tuesday always so many things to triumph over and let me tell you the last few days i know a lot of people are having issues with the bandwidth with the wi-fi and we do apologize for that unfortunately we have no control over it but we do apologize because we know how vested you are in us and we are invested in you as well so without further ado, we have an amazing guest today. She, when we met with Megan, she really was the sunshine in the light. And what I loved about something about her bio that really captured me was Megan is a purpose pursuing force of passionate energy. How many people can say that? She is a certified life coach, a therapeutic art coach, and a fierce mental health advocate. So many people are going through so much lately. And I think all these attributes, all the things that she does are amazing. So Megan, I want you to take it away. This is your floor. Welcome, good afternoon, and share our, your story with our audience. Hi, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you both for having me and thank you to everyone listening in. I'm excited to share a bit of my story with you and and just be able to, to connect with you all. Uh, as was mentioned in my amazing intro that had me blushing, my name's Megan. I'm a certified life coach, therapeutic art coach, and fierce mental health advocate which comes a lot from my experiences with depression and an eating disorder. I've lived with mental illness for over a decade now. And so I've been through the ringer with it and can really understand just how all consuming mental illness can be. And that is really why I like to share my story is just so that people who haven't experienced mental health challenges can get a slight understanding of what it's like. And for those of us who live with mental illness, like I do, just know you're not alone. Megan, a lot of our viewers, um, and not just our view viewers, but the public in general, especially this past year have suffered through so much. And I think it just goes to show you that it's true that you never know what somebody else is going through. The fact that you are an advocate for that, I think um, is very amazing. Tell us if you wouldn't mind a little bit more about your story. And obviously that led you to become a life coach. And I wanna also touch upon the fact that you are a therapeutic art coach. Yeah. It's a long story, of course, with 10 years of, of history, but I'll, uh, I'll give you the, the quick notes version or, or whatever that old school thing is called. But um, I first noticed in real life that I something was wrong with my relationship with food and, and the way I was feeling wasn't normal in my first year of university. But 
hindsight being 2020, I realized some of the symptoms of my eating disorder actually started popping up in high school. And it was really tough for me because at the time, my particular eating disorder wasn't actually recognized in the diagnostic tool. So there's uh, basically a book in a sense of mental health conditions one can be diagnosed with. And the best diagnosis I would receive for my eating disorder would be eating disorder not otherwise specified, which from a linguistic standpoint is a terrible, terrible diagnosis to receive. And so for years, I sort of, I struggled sort of silently. I spoke with my doctor after about a year of recognizing that this isn't right. Something's not right. This is not how life is supposed to be. And eventually worked my way through trying to support myself, you know, holistically. I did a lot of yoga. I actually worked for Lululemon in 2013 and had access to a lot of really, really great assets to support my mental health, but I was still struggling. And so in 2013, I went on my antidepressant and uh, still had my doctor support, but there really wasn't any sort of formal structure for my eating disorder treatment. So I really had to kind of go through it alone and work on my recovery by figuring it out as I went along. One of the things that a lot of people don't understand about my particular type of eating disorder, which is now recognized in the diagnostic tool, I've now received an official diagnosis and I do have binge eating disorder. But when you are working on recovery, you essentially go through withdrawal. And my doctor warned me when, when I said, okay, I've got a roommate who's going to help me try to sort of cut out the binging cold turkey, essentially. She warned me that you are going to go through at least three days worth of withdrawal from carbs, from sugar, from all those things. And it is going to feel just as bad as a heroin withdrawal. And it boggled my mind that there was no system in place in where I'm at and where I've come to learn a lot of places don't have systems to help folks go through that and be there to support them. And it was awful. And it was way too much to put on my roommate at the time for sure. And it didn't go well, as I'm sure you can imagine, but I got through it and I I found myself in a place where I could consider myself recovered in about 2017 And then in 2019, I had a year that was worse than 2020. So that should tell you something. And I relapsed in the fall. And I was just, that's how I ended up getting my official diagnosis. And I was just sort of getting the support again, getting the help. I still don't have a proper sort of treatment specific for my eating disorder, but I was getting access to therapies. I was getting access to a a group therapy program for CBT and the pandemic hit and everything shut down and I fell through the cracks. And I once again was faced with having to deal with eating disorder recovery essentially on my own. Wow. And so, yeah, that was a lot of what inspired my work within life coaching was just knowing that once you get through those tough parts, I'm, I'm thankful to consider myself recovered again. It wasn't easy. It was a lot faster this time, but um, between my experiences of having to go through recovery and sort of figuring out once, 
once I had a grasp on my mental illness, once I had an understanding of how to maintain my mental health and not just survive, but actually start to thrive, I really didn't know who I was or how I wanted to thrive next. What were my next steps? What, who was I beyond my mental illness and what did I want to do? And so I started doing a lot of the practices that I now support my clients with in goal or in life coaching and ended up, yeah, pursuing that as my, as my career and added in the therapeutic art life coaching, because I mean, who doesn't want to use creativity to explore their goals and their sense of self. And, and here I am today. Wow. Carol Sue, um, you know, I think um, as we go forward, Oh, she's coming in and out again. We'll just wait for her for a second. Um, so what I was going to say was, you know, I think that in this day and age when there can't be a designated type of protocol is kind of almost frightening, I think, in a way. And I really think that there should be more Megans out there, quite frankly. The fact that you have been through so much, I think in a short amount of time and are in that position to inspire others to do the same is amazing. Sometimes I find myself speechless, which I know is hard for a lot of people to comprehend. <laughs> but I think if you look at different people's stories in a manner that is congruent to going forward in life and is in a way that is done, that not only helps yourself, obviously, but people can remove so relate to what you're going through, not only from uh, an eating disorder standpoint, but from having the depression and mental health issues, the fact that you were an advocate for yourself. So, you know, obviously I have tons and tons of questions and I think Carol Sue, and I do apologize is having some technical issues on her end because I really wanted her to chime in, um, which was what I was trying to get at. So you re recognize something and you were an advocate for yourself and talk to your doctor. What do you think is one, a few things that would help someone who is feeling the mental acuity offness? Like they know something's wrong, they just can't really put their finger on it. What are some really important suggestions or questions that that person can talk to their doctor about? Mm -hmm. That's a great question because yeah, there's, there's certainly that feeling of, I know something's off, but I can't quite figure out what it is. And that's what I had experienced really for a year of, of this isn't right, but I don't really know how to name it yet. I think the first step is to get really introspective with yourself and to really look inward, which can be a terrifying thing to do, especially if you're experiencing a mental health challenge. But if you feel like something is off and your mental health might be at risk, 
the first call I would make would be to a counselor over a doctor actually, which might seem strange to many, but unfortunately the state of our healthcare system, no matter pretty much where we are, I even I'm, I'm based in Canada. We have a pretty decent healthcare system and thankfully covered healthcare system. And I still would recommend to go see a therapist because they're going to help you get the right words. They're going to help you explore some of that. Something's not right, but what is it? And help you connect those dots and connect those pieces. And by doing that with a, a therapist, you'll be able to go to your doctor with the right words, with the right language you need in order to be an advocate for yourself, in order to not be dismissed by any healthcare provider. I've unfortunately been in the situations where healthcare providers have dismissed me or have um, sort of brushed aside any other problem I was facing. I actually had a dermatologist once because I had a, a skin thing, as I like to call it, I now know it's related to my polycystic ovarian syndrome, but six years ago, I had no idea that PCOS even existed, let alone the fact that it could be causing what was happening with my skin. And I went to a dermatologist to get looked at. She was in there for less than five minutes. And the second I told her I was on an antidepressant, she put her pen down, asked me why I was on an antidepressant. I said, because I have depression and immediately addressed, said, oh, the skin condition is because of your depression. It's your depression manifesting on your skin. And I said, well, actually I've, I've got my depression well-managed. Like I am, I'm really secure with my depression. She said, nope, that's what it is. And walked out. And so unfortunately, you know, the healthcare system has a lot of room for improvements. And so when you are having to be an advocate for yourself, you need to it's better to know that you are empowered with the right language and with the right knowledge in order to be that advocate. You sometimes don't have a lot of time with your doctor. So make the most of it by going in with, even if it's written on a list, even if you have to write a letter out to your doctor and read it out loud to them, that's going to ensure that you get at least your foot in the door with the right steps. So first and foremost, if you think something is wrong, even if you don't think it might be a mental health challenge, if you're just feeling a little off, a therapist is a great place to start. I think everybody should see a counselor at least once in their life, whether or not you have a mental health challenge, because it doesn't matter if you experience mental illness, we all have mental health. We all need to care for it. We all need to see to our mental health like we would see to our physical health, like we would see to our eye doctor or a dentist counselors are great for that. You know, I think that's great that you said that because really who would think, I don't know that a lot of people would necessarily think that. And it's so true to check in with a mental hair, a mental health care provider, you know, whether it be a therapist or a doctor or a life coach, you know, somebody that can kind of direct you in that area and I just want to back up a little bit to when you were chatting about when your doctor kind of, uh, your dermatologist kind of dismissed you. Because I really think that in, in and of itself is a disservice to obviously the patient, but to their profession. 
And I feel very bad by the way that that, that happened, that, that should not have happened. But the fact that you took action and went forward, a I don't know that a lot of people could do that. And I think in the area of mental health issues, that's what concerns me for somebody else out there that may not know, wait a minute, uh, what just happened here? And that may trigger them into a further depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to also talk about the therapeutic art aspect of it, because I think that's really important, especially during this time and age. I know that a lot of people during the pandemic have taken up, you know, art in general. I know a lot of adults are, you know, getting their adult coloring books. So tell me a little bit more about that and how that really kind of played into your, you obviously did it for a therapeutic approach, but obviously became interested in it enough where it sparked your interest to become a coach. Yeah, I have always been a creative person, but always questioned. I mean, it was my inner saboteur telling me that I wasn't skilled in the fine arts, um, which makes no sense because I'd always had a camera in my hand. I just, I guess I never considered photography as quite a fine art or I always, you know, really had an eye for how color went together. But as I was getting older and as I was, I was experiencing my mental health challenges and getting to know myself better, I did start to explore my creative side more and with less and less judgment. And I realized that not only is it really relaxing and almost, and, and yeah, therapeutic just to be creating something for the sake of creating, not putting pressure on yourself to make the perfect painting or the perfect collage. But just that process of putting paint or color to paper is meditative. I always struggled with meditation. You know, you hear a lot of folks when, you know, you, you say you have mental health challenges say, oh, you should try meditating or journaling. All those top of mind go-tos, they didn't work for me and they weren't the tools I was gravitating towards. It probably shocks a lot of people when they hear I'm a life coach who doesn't journal because who doesn't journal if you're in this field, but it just didn't work for me. And meditation didn't work for me. And I found though, that I was getting the same benefits people describe with meditation when I was painting, when I was coloring, when I was drawing, I just get lost in, in time and in the process and have almost a moment of calm and peace. And so I began to explore that therapeutic art coaching side. I had done a little bit of art therapy with my therapist in the past, not too much, but I had always been intrigued by it for my own practice. And I found a course through my certification program on therapeutic art, life coaching. And I signed up without hesitation because that just sprang true to who I am and, and what I love. And so now I'm, I know how to empower folks to use creativity to explore their sense of self. The most common version of therapeutic art we can probably think of without realizing it is vision boarding. Vision boarding is a very powerful goal setting tool in order to, whether you believe in manifesting or just visioning a stronger sense of that future you want for your life. But I also use therapeutic art to explore our sense of self and to connect with our authentic self and to understand who we are in the present and what we want in the future. It's 
a lot of abstract work, which puts people, it's, it's so fun to see folks get really uncomfortable, but settle into that uncomfortability in the beginning to then have this realization at the end of all these pieces coming together and, and being able to pull out the meaning behind the work that they're creating and sort of have that light bulb moment of, oh, I see where, where this piece is going and I see what this is saying about myself and who I am and where I'm headed. And so it's that dual coin of both very meditative and relaxing in the moment with still having that connection to self-discovery and self-improvement and vision setting. Wow, that is very powerful because I know, you know, for instance, somebody like myself that diving into something like that, you sometimes you never know where your creativity is. I found mine in, in writing. I love to write. I love to read. That was very therapeutic for me. But somebody else uh, may say, you know what, that's great, but that's just it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Now, would you suggest to somebody perhaps trying different things or let's say somebody comes to you and they're, for instance, hey, I've, I've tried the therapeutic art approach and I'm really not sure about it. I always say too that if you can try to do something at first, kind of get familiar with it. Do you think that's a really good route for somebody to go if they're not like too sure on what they should do or how they should do it? Yeah, I think definitely explore different types of practices. Like I said, in my practice with my therapeutic art approach, it's very sort of abstract, which can make people a little more uncomfortable and a little more uncertain. So whether it's, you know, sometimes it's as simple as try a different medium, you know, maybe it doesn't work for you with, with painting, but pull out your crayons and you're excited. And by the way, I do really encourage people to try using crayons in therapeutic art because it's connecting you with your like, inner child and bringing back some memories of, of being a kid and playing with your crayons. Uh, of course, you know, it depends on your own certain circumstances because some people might not like that connection to their childhood and it might not benefit them. So they might gravitate towards drawing and picking up their pencil and just drawing more shapes. Um, being a little more concrete in the art that they're creating. So I think first, yeah, it's explore different types, explore different styles. In therapeutic art, it's very relaxed. There aren't a lot of rules in therapeutic art because it is about what works for you. Uh, I have one practice where it's literally, you can bring any medium, you can bring any color. I genuinely don't even have an idea of what your final piece is going to look like. It's all about the process of creating and what I guide you through in order to create the piece. It's a very, very strange experience when you give, this is what I love about doing art therapy or therapeutic art over Zoom these days is I'll have a group who are getting the exact same instructions from me. And they're seeing me do the exact same things when I'm starting to go through that process to sort of explain, this is where you begin but you can't see the piece that they're working on because it's down below and you just see their face. And at the end of an hour, hour and a half and they lift up their pieces and they're all vastly different pieces. That is the power in therapeutic art. That is the very personal experience that everybody's going to go through even though you're getting the exact same 
guidance from me. And so, yeah, I would, I would encourage people to try different practices, try different mediums, but again, not everything is going to work for everybody. I, like I said, journaling doesn't work for me. So therapeutic art, it's not a big band-aid for every single person. If you aren't finding a meditative quality in creating, or if you do get a little too stressed or caught within this trap of wanting your final piece to look quote unquote perfect, that I would encourage you to explore a little more in depth than it would come into some one-on-one coaching as to why that might be and how we can release that narrative you're telling yourself. But if you don't find creating art to be an enjoyable practice, you're probably not going to get as many benefits from it as somebody who does like to be a little creative, but there are other methods for you. Yes. And I'm so glad that you said that because, and I think it's interesting too. And I just want to back up a tad what you were talking about your group, how you're giving them the same instructions and guiding them through that process. And then after the workshop, everyone is vastly different and that must be exciting in a way it is the first time it happened i was a little floored i didn't expect it it's it's a process for me to try to adjust to this new zoom based everything i didn't think therapeutic art could really work over zoom i resisted it for a very long time but uh when i first did it i yeah i expected everybody's to kind of look you know, at least like mine. And when they revealed their final pieces, I went, whoa, this is powerful here. There's something different here. And so it was, it was a lesson for me too, to let go of my expectations or a reminder to let go of my expectations of, of other people. And so now it's actually become something I, I look forward to with every zoom based therapeutic art workshop is seeing how people will take my guidance and instructions and, and that, introspective experience to create something so unique to them. That, that is exciting because what I also see too with that, you had mentioned crayons, but I'm sure maybe um, Janie may want to use those gel pens Mm -hmm. or somebody may want to use colored pencils and all the different colors that are out there. And I would imagine that color significance plays a big role in their final product. Do you see any trends with that? In other words, if somebody's using, let's say, very dark colors, maybe black, maybe a dark brown, are there significance? Is there a significance in the different colors? There absolutely is. And I, I, always hesitate to give people color psychology in my practice. It's hard for me. So my background in in university, I went to school for a joint major in something called communication and interactive art and technology. And so in my interactive art degree, I learned color psychology. So I, I have both this understanding of how most people will relate to a color when I am looking at people's final products and people's final pieces on where some of that colors may have come from and where that inspiration was. But I know not to assign my color symbology to their pieces. And that's the beautiful part is I, I have to have my folks tell me why they picked that color. So 
in the beginning, I, I give them that freedom to understand their own relationship with a certain color. I often use the color red as an example. Red is often symbolic for love. So if you see people using red, you might think, oh, they must want a lot of love in their life. But for me, the color for love is more like a really soft pink, like the pink of a peony. And so when you see that color in my paintings, that is my, my symbolism for love, not a like bright, vibrant red that has completely different meaning to me. And so in my practice, I often use storytelling as a way of exemplifying and giving people permission to trust their instincts and to do what they want, not what the outside narrative is influencing them for. But there are still a lot of trends that pop up that's going to happen because color does have a, a psychology behind it. And we do naturally associate certain colors with certain things. And so, yeah, when you see a lot of dark colors, there's a hint of a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear in a sense that can come up with some of the darker colors and how the colors play together also will, will impact their actual meaning. But really that's the beauty of therapeutic art is it's up to you to ascribe your meanings to your colors. And I love, love hearing from people on what each color means to them. That's one of my other favorite parts of the process is to say, okay, why did you pick that color? What does that color mean to you? And oftentimes people sort of struggle with that because they're like, well, I just, I picked it. You said, trust my instincts. and I picked it. I'm like, yes, but here comes the work. Why did you pick it? Let's look a little deeper. What's, let's connect your, your gut to your mind and figure out the why behind it. It's almost like, and I, and I think I said this when we chatted a couple of weeks ago, it's almost like there is a story behind the story. So you go through a process and guide them through and then boom, they just pick a color. And I never thought about this in this way that it would have to be a really significant reason why they chose it for a particular thing. And that must be an amazing feeling or amazing revelation to them when they finally get to that point that, wow, okay. They finally probably at some point realize now I know why I chose this color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite stories has to do with one of my uh, favorite practices, which I call now and then introspective painting. And it it's a, a practice that uses lines and color to explore our present self and what we want for our future. And so when we're doing the exploration of, of our current state of our present self, one of my questions that I ask folks, and I'm giving away a really deep question here. If your life were a roller coaster, what ride would it be? And it's always really interesting to see how that one question influences folks' final product because they're they're then instructed to use their like meditative exploration introspective time to translate what came up for them through lines. And so a lot of people will use that question. It's oftentimes I'll even now I've gotten used to it. And I say, 
that shape there came from the roller coaster question, didn't it? And they're like, yeah, it did. Because it's it's like, oh, I really want to sort of symbolize that type of movement through these lines. So how do I translate this idea of my life as a roller coaster into this painting? And it comes into a lot of movement in the in the final product that it's it's a really fascinating experience to see sometimes the strangest questions just click for people and they start to see their life in a different way that brings a lot of clarity into what's going on you know when you said roller coasters and and just so that you know i hate roller coasters <laughs> it brought me back to when i was a little girl and my two brothers forcing me to go on the roller coaster. Oh, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. And I was scared to death. So I hate roller coasters. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Let's say we're in this class together, um, this vision board class. I think in that moment, I may be like, uh, my lines would be all over the place because thinking of a roller co coaster gives me the chills. Mm -hmm. If someone says to you, oh my God, I don't, I don't know if I can, if I can do this. Do you pick something else that may help them kind of get through that? Um, obviously a roller coaster for me, there's some anxiety associated mm -hmm. with that. Have you ever had that happen in any of your workshops? So not that I'm aware of, uh, which is a very valid point. I think if it were anxiety, often my workshops are done for corporate. So uh, group workshops are often a bunch of coworkers taking uh. some time for themselves. So they might not feel the like they're, they're in a comfortable place to bring that to light per se. That being said, it, during that, portion, there are a lot of questions that I'll ask of folks. So they'll, they'll have gone through a few different questions in terms of exploring their inner self. And so my, my hope, uh, I haven't seen, I do watch people as they're going through it and I haven't seen anybody's body react certainly to a question. And if they, if I did, I would, I would definitely want to check in on them, but my hope is that they take what they want from that process, mm. they are able to use the other questions to form their, their experience and their introspection. You know, the roller coaster question, yeah, it does seem to connect with a lot of people in a more tangible way of how to sort of symbolize their life. Um, but my other questions are also just as golden uh, or more golden for some people. And, and my hope would be people would just focus on those questions rather than get caught up in their anxiety but that that's what I can only help I love the fact that you said that and I think what you do is very purpose-driven and I think it's amazing thank you where you're very welcome where you are <laughs> in your life where you've been in your life where you were and where you're where you are right now and where you're going to in wrapping up, I have a couple more questions. Where do you see yourself maybe in the next couple of years? Are you looking to perhaps do any other types of courses? Um, I can imagine that being the life coach and a therapeutic art, art coach 
brings you so much, and you can tell when you talk about, about it, it brings you so much fulfillment and joy. Mm -hmm. And that is amazing. But is there maybe another form of art that you would want to pursue to um, add into your business or anything else that you're maybe thinking about? Yeah. I am right now taking, although I'm, it's an online program at your own pace and I've just been so caught up in busyness that I really need to start from the beginning again, but I'm in the, the middle of a uh, cognitive behavioral therapy coaching program, which I struggle with a bit because as a life coach, you are not a therapist and there are very distinct differences between the two. They complement each other well, but we have to remain distinct. Therapists work in the past and present and life coaches work in the present and future. Um, mental health challenges, you see a therapist for and any life coach who is both following the ethics of life coaching and B, is a responsible human being. If you encounter somebody who is experiencing a mental health challenge who was seeking out your services, you should be directing them to a therapist right away if, if you feel that they are in a mental health challenge or crisis and they need support that we're not qualified to give them. So I struggle with the CBT course because it is cognitive behavioral therapy and I've taken cognitive, like I, I've, CBT is part of my recovery plan. So I, I know the power in CBT and I want to be able to pull from it what I can to influence my coaching. But I do still struggle with calling myself a cognitive behavioral therapy life coach. So that's something I'm working on myself, but that's a course I'm in right now. There's another life coaching course I want to take that includes um, tapping and oh, yes. uh, hypnotherapy, which I'm not 100% sure. I want to explore it and see and make my own assessment as well as um, NLP, which I'm slightly trained in. I want to get some more training in NLP. Um, and then finally, my ultimate goal is to go back to school to get my master's of counseling psychology and to become a certified therapist as well. So I can support from past, present and future. So I can work with those who are experiencing mental health challenges and be able to grow my practice to empower folks from all spectrums to live their purpose-driven, fulfilling life. Wow. I think that is amazing that you have all these things that you want to do to not only enhance your life, but the lives of your, your clients and your future clients and to be able to kind of include that in your whole spectrum. That is amazing. Our listeners, and I'm going to put your links in, um, in the post below this live video, um, but how do they get in touch with you? So the best way to get in touch with me would be either you can check out my website, www.thesequoialife.com or come join my community, the Sequoia Fam Jam. It's on Facebook and it's a really open space for finding goal support. We have a book club that I am so in love with because it gives me the excuse to use reading as work. Oh, I love that I can say <laughs> I'm working as I'm reading a book. Um, and, and as well as different community events that, that work, help support us all in the pursuit of our goals. That is wonderful. Megan, you've sh shared such amazing, valuable, uh, valuable information today that I know is not only going to benefit our viewers and listeners, but to others 
who come across this. And I think it's just amazing the work that you do. And you're so heartfelt and obviously very passionate about what you do. And that shines through. And I do apologize for um, my sisters with the, uh, the Wi-Fi and bandwidth issues. We're just, we're having issues this week, but we, we trudge forward. On that note, I'm going to sign off for now. My name is Jan- Janice, aka Wellness Diva, and I was here with the other sister, Carol Sue, aka Nani Boss. Join us tomorrow at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page where we'll have another amazing guest on. Megan, thank you so much again. We so appreciate your being on today. Thank, thank you, you for all. Having me. You're very welcome, and we shall see you tomorrow. Have a great, great Tuesday. Goodbye, everyone.